Okay, guys, back this way. Don't run. Don't push. Well, as they are exiting, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be picking up at verse 5. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if anybody needs a Bible, raise your hands and the ushers will bring one to you. When the ushers, there they are, they're bringing them up. First Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 5. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Apostle Paul writing to the churches in modern-day Turkey because of the persecution that's about to come upon them, says in verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, After you have suffered for a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She also, who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, once again, I just pray for the lesson that you have for us here today. As we open our hearts before you, I just pray, Lord, as we're making this judgment, evaluation of the church, of ourselves, that you would show us the reality of who we are, the reality of what we do, and God, the reality of what our call is to be. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you for this time together, that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Well, last week it was a congregational appraisal. I'm sorry, it was a pastoral appraisal. Today it's going to be a congregational appraisal. We looked at the pastor last week. We looked at even myself. This week we'll be looking at you. My issue is I'm part of both. And so there's a double appraisal that is working in my life. We started last week evaluating our church based upon what Peter wrote in chapter 4, verse 17, when he says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? So he's speaking of the accountability and the reality and the necessity that we have to evaluate ourselves. And we've seen... A church without accountability and without evaluation, determining that we are continuing steadfastly in the Word of God, according to the ways of God, it quickly goes askew. Once again, even recently, there's been a very prominent, very well-known pastor in the news who's been removed from his pulpit because they've gone off in a direction that is contrary to the Bible. The time has come and is still here that the church would evaluate itself to know that we are a place that can stand in the Lord's grace, especially as the world presses in. Why? Because when trouble hits, this is where God is going to send people. This is to be the place where Jesus Christ meets the sinner, especially in the midst of his despair. Again, he's writing to these churches in Asia Minor that they would be prepared for the coming hardship that is entering in, that they would be prepared to minister to the souls that are hurting, to reach those who have fallen into despair, and to understand the real-world trials that we all go through so that the church can be what it's intended to be, that it would be a hospital with the cure being a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we're fractured, and if we're not put together, if we're not holding strong and standing fast, then we're going to be ill-prepared for the good work that God has. Now, we pray, we pray, we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Even come quickly, Lord. 
But imagine all that that entails. Have you read the book of Revelation? Have you seen the catastrophic events? There's the coming of the Antichrist. And so when we pray that prayer, we so look forward to being with the Lord as we should, but also it's going to bring hardship upon this world that this world has never seen before. And so as before the rapture of the church, we need to be prepared for the lost. But even now, I I was looking at our Facebook page not too long ago, the various uh, videos, the live feeds, and the live feeds stay if you ever want to catch up on a service or whatever, you can go to Calvary Chapel Ontario's Facebook page and go to the video button and you can see all of our services for the last, I believe, close to two years now. I was looking at those, uh, those services and just seeing the, the possibilities, the potential that is there. Because when we leave, if we're raptured tomorrow, that stuff's still there. You know, you've heard the, the concept, anything that's on the internet stays on the internet. Well, in this particular case, that's a good thing. And so there's opportunity to minister to people the love of Christ and and the solution to what is ailing them, especially during that terrible time, and that they would understand and know what is necessary for a relationship with the Lord. When 911 hit so many years ago, that night our church was full. It was a Tuesday night. We had no scheduled meeting. Matter of fact, it was impromptu, and this was really before we were into the email thing and internet thing. People just showed up, and we gathered together and we prayed. And it was just a, it was a tragic day, but it was a blessed night. And so in the midst of hardship, when the world, the world realizes their inability and their fallibility, this is the place that they're going to come. We are the people who are to receive them. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, which is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching, as you see the times growing worse, as you see the signs approaching of the end times. We are to be prepared to minister to people who are lost, to minister to people who are hurting, to minister to people who will be condemned apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we are ill-prepared for that work, if we don't make this judgment or this evaluation of ourselves, then how are we to rightly represent Christ to anybody if we ourselves have not embraced Christ and embraced what his church is to be? So in this evaluation process, last week we started at the pastor. I'll read through verses 1 and 4 again. It says, The elders who are among you I exhort. I am who a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory which will be revealed. Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so we saw that threefold description on who a pastor is to be and what a pastor is to hold to. From my perspective, I need to make sure that as much as as depends upon myself, I'm fulfilling these things in my ministry. You, in making an evaluation of a pastor, myself or anybody else, you have a responsibility to yourself and to your family or those you influence, that the person standing behind the pulpit is able to fulfill these things or making the attempt to the best of his ability to do so because church is the place that you are to be fed and well prepared. And so first we saw that a pastor is to be an elder. He should be experienced in both the teaching of God's word and the application of God's word. Secondly, a pastor is to be a shepherd or a feeder. His primary job is to feed the sheep, to feed the word of God to the congregation, because if he's not doing that, then in actuality, he's not doing anything. Matter of fact, Peter would be well aware of that, because when he went fishing, when Christ met him on the Sea of Galilee, he told them, feed my sheep. And actually what he said was, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, Feed my sheep, the priority on the feeding of the sheep. And then thirdly, a pastor is to be an overseer, overseeing the flock of God because there's wolves out there, and there's wolves in sheep clothing, that which, well, maybe looks very impressive. Those who maybe sound so good, 
Maybe they're very eloquent, but underneath their motives are revealed in that what looks good on the outside is deadly on the inside. Why oversee the flock? Because there's a lot of unhealthy food out there. There's a lot of false teachings in the ways of men, and they must be exposed. General living conditions, again, that we would foster an environment that is conducive to learning the truth of God's word. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And know this, if there's a concept stated in the New Testament, we'll see a picture of it in the Old Testament. If you have your Bible with you, turn over to Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers chapter 20. This is the area of the sin that Moses committed. And really, I mean, I'll read it, but what does it whittle down to? What is the sin that Moses committed? His sin was that he misrepresented God to the people. And it was because of this that the repercussions of it stayed with him. He was unable to enter into the promised land. Numbers chapter 20, verse 7 Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, and gather the congregation together and speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. And so Moses had done this before, and he was supposed to strike the rock. And he did so, and the water flowed from the rock, and the congregation was nourished. Now they're in basically the same predicament, but this time God says, Speak to the rock. Why? Because there was to be a picture there just as surely as Christ was stuck, struck once and then from there flow torrents of living water. Now is all we have to do is speak, is, is pray, and, and God will fill us with his spirit, give us that nourishment. But Moses misrepresents God. Verse 9, Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, so he's doing good here, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you from out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with the rod, and water came out abundantly to the congregation, and their animals drank. Well, a couple of things here. First of all, he's misrepresenting God. God was not mad at the people. Matter of fact, God wanted to bless the people. Were the people bad? Well, sure. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no doubt about that, and so has Moses. We see it here. And he's gathered this assembled together, and here now, you rebels. God doesn't want the shepherd to beat the sheep. He wants him, the shepherd, in this particular case, Moses, to rightly represent them to these people. And so what did Moses do? The bottom line is, is Moses sinned because he misrepresented God. God. And it can be so easy to get mad and to start beating people, coming down on people or whatever it might be. But Moses, (laughs) your own words convict you. You called them a bunch of rebels. Well, you're the chief rebel, if you will. You're just as big, if not a bigger rebel than they are because you heard directly from God and you misrepresented God. And so the water Water is a picture of the word of God that nourishes our soul. And here the one who is to be the deliverer is not doing so in a manner that is well-pleasing to God. And because of that, he was unable to enter into the promised land. Legalism, to be upset, to be a, a finger pointer, waggler, whatever you, however you want to describe it, you cannot enter into God's good blessings in that way. Now, our second evaluation is to the general body of Christ. It's to us here today, verses 5 through 7. Likewise, you younger people or less mature people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so because of that statement, verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I remember when I was an electrician, I was doing a job, and the client that we were doing the job for, his daughter came driving up, and I noticed a bumper sticker that was on the back. She was 16 to 18, somewhere in there. And the bumper sticker just simply said, Question Authority. And I was just thinking, wow, that's kind of rebellious. 
And then her, her father, the, the client, saw me kind of looking at the bumper sticker, and he says, no, I, I, I encourage my children to question all authority. And I was just thinking, well, yeah, authority has to be accountable, and we are not to have blind faith. Matter of fact, we are to submit to the elders as they are submitted to the Lord. But I'm just thinking, man, that, that, that child of his, what a, what a, what a pain they're going to be in and how pained they're going to be if they have that attitude. In the real world, to not respect eldership, you're going to struggle, you're going to get fired, you're going to have a hard time. And and so as far as in the body of Christ, we have that layer of protection. Because as God has commanded us, God will enable us, and God will bring godly leaders, and God will train and convict the leadership when the leadership isn't going. And matter of fact, he's given us this manual last week's service, if leadership is not conducting themselves according to the will of God, that we make the change that is necessary, either throw the bum out or go to a different place, whatever it might be. But again, this is important. It's essential. Why? Because we're preparing ourselves for the hard times and the difficult days ahead. And if even the rapture, the the tribulation does not happen in our time, we're all destined for some sort of hardship or our trial, and so we have to be well prepared in the body of Christ to rightly represent Jesus Christ to those who are suffering. And so submission, submission starts in the home. It extends to outside authority, and it glorifies God. If I do not teach my children to be submitted to the authorities in their life, do I really expect them to submit themselves to God at some point in their life? If I'm teaching them to be rebellious to authority constantly, at some point they're going to be rebellious to the authority of God. Now, again, there's safeguards that are built in when man enters into the equation, but nonetheless, as far as those whom God has given, there must be this element of submission. And I'll say it once more, not blind submission, it's submission that is based upon God's word. The command here to submit is a military one. It means to line up under. The idea here is is for the less spiritually mature to line up under the leadership of the more spiritually mature, to learn from those who have experienced these things. And again, that's when a church is really firing on all cylinders. We had the kids up here, and they're being taught perfectly by more mature people. But... I remember there was a, a, a younger woman that just had a child um, in a church. This was before we started this church. And I remember she came to my wife because nobody taught her how to be a mother. I don't know what the story was with her mother. I, I just have no clue. But she just wanted to understand from an experienced woman, we had four kids, you know, just the things that you deal with and giving birth and the results of that and the child and the whole thing. And so she sought, she didn't seek somebody younger than her or somebody who hadn't given birth before. She sought somebody older than her and somebody who had that experience. Well, how much more so in our Christian lives? Those people, the seasoned saints who have been in God's word, who have experienced so much. There's a plethora of experience that is here as as the people have lived these things out. And we live these things out both in victory in Christ, but also failure in Christ. Let me tell you what I did, and I, I can give lend to, to that experience the times that, uh, that I did fail in the Lord and the results of that, but also the times that I achieved victory in the Lord and, and how God worked in my life in that case as well. I was talking to somebody the other night about a situation, and I was an electrical contractor and things, this was in the early 90s, the economy wasn't doing so good, and I had a client call me, hey, I just got a pretty big job at the World Trade Center in Long Beach, and we're doing a whole floor, and you need to come down, the job walks tomorrow, and so I went down there and come to find out it was a Scientology reading shop, or whatever it might be, and Scientology is not a Christian uh, organization, and so I was kind of the Lord spoke to me in the elevator when I was leaving. He, he, he asked me if this is something that I should be doing. And all of a sudden, I started thinking, I had never thought of that. I'd never considered the possibility. I hadn't been saved for very long. And so I'm kind of weighing it out and, and you know, kept popping in my mind, I really need this job. I really could use the money. And, you know, and that was kind of at the forefront of my thought process. 
But I, I asked people, I asked pastors at my church, and I already knew what God had told me to do. Because even the, it wasn't pastor, but it was a leader at the church, told me, well, if you can be a good witness, just do it. But I already knew that the Lord told me no. And so I went to the ultimate authority. On KKLA, there was the Rich Bueller show, and he had a question and answer. So I called into the Rich Bueller show. And so I called in, and they asked me, and she goes, okay, you'll be on in about five minutes. And so I put it on hold and called my wife. Hey, listen, I'm going to be on the radio. And, and Rich said to go for it, and I went for it, and it was one of the biggest mistakes I made. Instead of making any kind of money, I lost over $5,000 on that job. And God had spoken to me, and that was a failure in my life. And I know that I heard the leading of the Holy Spirit. I knew what I was supposed to do, but I chose to ignore that. And so that's an experience I could share with somebody as they're trying to make the decisions in what they do. And I can also share the times that I trusted in the Lord and God provided because that's the place that he brought me to. Now all of a sudden there's no job in front of me. I just lost a ton of money and God, we're even more helpless than before. And it was as if God said, okay, now are you ready to hear my voice? And God provided for us every step of the way. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 15 through 16 says, I urge you, brethren... You know the household of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, submit to such leadership that is devoted to the ministry of the saints, and to everyone who works and labors with us. We have a question in our ministry applications here at the church. Are you submitted to the leadership of the church at Calvary Chapel, Ontario? Because if you're not submitted to the leadership, if you're not willing to fall in line under the direction of the leadership here, then that's just simply going to cause division. And it's going to cause unrest within the ministry. And so it's essential that we fall in line. My pastor is David Rosales. I meet with him monthly to fall under the direction of his leadership. Every Calvary Chapel, in case you ever wanted to know, is completely independent of every other Calvary Chapel. We have never received a dime from any other church, nor have we given our offering to any other church. Our church is all self-sufficient. As people give here, we're able to pay the rent, the electricity, the pastor, and we're able to move forward. But it's all what God has done within the body of Christ here at this at this church. And so our ministry, our ministry flourishes as we're in God's grace and it will suffer as we are outside of God's grace. Where is there an Old Testament picture of this concept? Well, you can turn back to Numbers or I'll just read it since I had you turn back. But in Numbers chapter 16 this time at verse 1, there was some rebellion in the ranks. Now this time the rebellion is directly against God's chosen leader, against Moses. It was uh, one of his nephews. It says, now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abraham, the sons of Eliabib, on the, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. So whenever divisions happen, people will always pull people to themselves, people to kind of shore up their positions. And every time I've seen any sort of division exist within the body of Christ, it's always people who have pulled people to themselves. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Verse 4. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all of his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him, that one whom he chose, chooses he will cause to come near to him. So Moses had a confidence in his calling from the Lord. He understood that God had called him to direct the children of Israel. And as Moses was obedient, they saw mighty miracles happen, confirmation that this was the will of God. And so it was up to them to fall in line, to submit to the leadership that was there. Now, as we see this, we see that Moses is very secure in this. Hey, 
let's gather together tomorrow and, and we'll let God make the choice. And, and I would just imagine that if God had a change of heart, that Moses probably would have been open to it. King David, when his son was coming up against him, he didn't confront him, he left. He thought, well, hey, if this is the will of God, then who am I to fight against the will of God? Well, then later on, they all gather together and God makes his will to be known. In verse 31, it says, Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah and all of their goods, so that they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from amongst the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Least the earth swallow us all also. And fire came down from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. And so God just kind of gives you a little picture of his opinion of division. Obviously, Korah was acting in the flesh. Moses was moving in the spirit. And the one who was acting in the flesh, God revealed through his anger, his feelings towards him. And Moses, even though he's an imperfect man, God continued to use him. God continued to bless him. Because as we'll see at the end of this chapter, it's never about human perfection. It's all about the grace of God. And so Peter in verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So, pastor, you have to be diligent in being an elder and a shepherd and an overseer. And and, and likewise, the, the less mature people need to submit themselves to the leadership, and they need to have a humble spirit. Because if you have a prideful spirit, you're never going to submit yourself. But it's you who have to humble yourself. And as you humble yourself, it's that which God blesses. Why do we have to do all of that? Well, once again, you have to be sober, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Notice that this is a roaring lion. It's not a biting lion. He's got a roar still, but his teeth were removed at Mount Calvary. And we have to understand that. We have to know that. And how many times have you heard some sort of preacher on TV or maybe a fellow believer somewhere or whatever and all concerned about the devil and what the devil's going to do? The devil's able to make a lot of noise, but the devil has no teeth. And so if you're a born-again believer, you're protected and you're kept by the grace of God. And so the devil is a reality, but how the devil moves is through deception. And so as the devil is not allowed to touch me apart from the will of God, we are to have a confidence in that. Now, working back on all of this, as a pastor, why can't I be prideful? Why can't I seek dishonest gain and all of these things? Because that's of the devil. And there have been some who have been deceived and they go after these things and sooner or later they're exposed and their ministry fails. And also, as far as those who've been commanded to humble themselves, if they don't humble themselves, then again, there's divisions that are in the body. But as they do humble themselves, as a pastor is an elder, a shepherd, and an overseer, God's in that, and that's what God blesses. And it can be a hard thing. And really, it's a mutual submission kind of a thing. And that the pastor is to submit themselves to the congregation. Congregation is to submit themselves to the pastor. My wife is to submit herself to me and sacrificially respecting me. I am to submit myself to her and sacrificially loving her. And it's always built upon this mutual submission that is an ultimately submission to God. And that's what the Lord blesses. He blesses no opinions of man. He blesses no acts of the flesh. And so, a couple words of warning here. First word of warning, be vigilant. That means be on guard. Be spiritually prepared. Be in the Word of God. Be a person of prayer. Be strong in fellowship. Any person who is a born-again believer that separates themselves from fellowship is going to be in a position of weakness. I've experienced this in people that I know and people that have separated themselves from the church for whatever reason, and I don't know all the reasons that people do so, but I do know that they do do so. 
and they make themselves vulnerable as they do so. Matter of fact, we have been commanded. Again, we kind of separate commands to the Old Testament, but there are New Testament commands, the Great Commission. I just read one in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, don't forsake the gathering together of the brethren. That's not presented as a as an opinion or a suggestion. And also in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So what this tells me is if I don't put on the whole armor of God, I'm not going to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the trickery or the deception of the devil. And so to put on the armor of God, be girded with truth. Understand the truth of God's word and stand upon the truths of God's word. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Protect your heart by the ultimate rightness that is presented through the nature of Jesus Christ. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Have the gospel, know the gospel, and understand the gospel so that if given the opportunity, you're able to preach the gospel at a moment's notice. Everybody here who is a born-again believer should have just some sort of quick presentation of the gospel within your heart if somebody asks you, what must I do to be saved? Or, or tell me about your religion. You know, whatever it might be, you should be prepared to give a quick explanation of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for all of mankind. We are to take up the shield of faith because of those fiery darts that are cast at us, that our faith, our faith is which overcomes and helps us to persevere. Put on the helmet of our salvation to understand that I am saved in the sight of God and nobody can change that. Wield your sword of the Spirit. We are to wield that sword in love, but we are to wield it nonetheless. And then lastly, we are to pray. Once again, seems like prayer enters into every little list that I give. Secondly, we are to be sober. Now, the literal meaning of this word is, don't be drunk. (laughs) Don't be a lush. It's used in that context, but what Peter is doing, he's using it metaphorically to show the necessity of being sharp mind. A drunk would be dull of mind. What I want you to do is look at what the Bible says literally about being drunk to metaphorically see the advantages of being sharp-minded. We're told in Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. A mocker is to intercede or to interpret or to be opinionated. How many times have you heard a drunk, or maybe you yourself, you know what I think? Do you really care what a drunk thinks? I mean, there's some kind, just about whenever anybody says, you know what I think, some sort of foolishness is quick to follow. I don't stand up here and say, do you know what I think, sober or drinking, Uh, because I don't drink, and number one, you don't need to know what I think. You need to know what the Bible says, what God thinks. That's what the important thing is. But every drunk is quick to tell you what they think. Or a brawler. This is one who causes an uproar. Since it's Sunday morning, you can look it up online or if you get a local... Does anybody here still get a newspaper? Jeff? Okay, good job, Jeff. But check it out. All the garbage that went on last night at the local bars... Every single Sunday morning, it's either Friday night or Saturday night, the police were called there. Sometimes there's a death. Sometimes there's a stabbing or a shooting. There's arrest, fighting, whatever it might have. Strong drink, it causes one to be a brawler or one who causes an uproar. And so somebody who is not sober-minded is in the congregation in the midst of some sort of trial that's going on. Well, you know what I think? You don't need to know what anybody thinks. You need to cling to God at that time. And, and, and since that person's opinion has been cast aside, then they become a brawler. That church is unloving. You know what? I was trying to give my opinion, and nobody really wanted to hear of it. Well, we need to be sober-minded. To be sober-minded is to dwell upon God's word. Proverbs twenty-one seventeen: He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. I remember a friend of mine was encouraging me to go to Las Vegas. And he says, I don't remember when this was, I just remember Dean doing this. And he says, they give you free drinks there. <laughs> Las Vegas gives you nothing. 
for free. You pay for everything. Maybe indirectly, but you pay for everything. The money you bring to Vegas stays in Vegas. How do you think they built those big hotels? Just look at the electric bill. Imagine the electric bill for the strip that is there. Uh, just, just to turn that on, it's got to be a million dollars a night. You know, I don't have a clue, but it's got to be a ton of money. Well, the people that go there are the ones who pay for that. And so be sober-minded. Store up treasures in heaven. Understand the richness of God's glory and all that he has done for us. Understand part of the riches of God's kingdom is the wisdom that we have amongst us all here for those who are rooted and grounded in God's word and are prepared for the difficult day and the hard time. So the results of not being sober-minded is just simply a downward spiral. And again, it's the devil who is the deceiver that that has taken so many people into captivity. We're told in verse 9, resist him. How do we resist him? Be steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So, it says here, the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We can kind of equate this, and I'm not going to turn there, but to James chapter 1, what we saw quite a few, well, maybe a year ago, whatever it's been. But what does the devil do as we're going through hardship? He tempts us. How does he tempt us? Or by what, what purpose does he tempt us? Well, we're told at the beginning of James that the trials are there for the purpose of maturing us, refining us, and making us stronger believers. But the devil will offer an easier way out, and that's where the temptation is. Because when you're in the midst of a trial, you just want it to end. You want it to go away, but God's got a lesson for you in the midst of that trial. But then the devil says, here's a side door. Instead of going through all of that, you don't even know how much longer, I'll provide you an easy way out. But the problem with that is you don't gain the experience and the maturity and you don't learn the lesson. God doesn't give up. Maybe you gave up in the middle, but God doesn't give up. And so he'll bring the next one around and the next one around and the next one around. And so what Peter is saying is resist the devil, stay steadfast in the faith, understanding who God is and the great work that God is doing, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now again, when Jesus was baptized, what what happened? There was the dove and what did God say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You can see that in the last part of Matthew chapter 3. But then in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes out into the wilderness. And what does the devil say? If you really are the Son of God. And so he's bringing into question the Word of God, the Word of the Father, and the relationship that the Father has with the Son. Well, we know ultimately what the devil was trying to do. He was trying to get Christ, he was tempting him, trying to get Christ in his grips, and then all of humanity in his grips. And what does he do? He questions the relationship with the Father. So we're going through trials, and you've, we've all, I've experienced this, you kind of, man, am I in sin? Has God given up? Has he forsaken me? And we can have all of those thoughts. But, but Peter's saying, no, 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 that the same sufferings, what you go through, they're experienced by all born again. This is a common thing in the body of Christ. Whatever it is that you're experiencing, others have experienced it in the body of Christ. Some of the people in this room have already experienced what you've experienced, and they're here for your benefit. And if you pray, God will join you together. So what we're seeing here is, is that Peter is, is encouraging the church for the purpose of strengthening the church, that the church would be able to fulfill its ministry. Verses 10 through 11. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, let that kind of settle in. You're going to suffer, and you're going to suffer for a period of time. This is not heaven. The day that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that opened a whole new door of suffering. So suffering is just going to be a fact of life in your Christian life. And if you say, I don't want to suffer, I'm going to bail out of the Christian life, guess what? You're still going to suffer. You're actually probably going to suffer even so much more because somebody who is truly a born-again believer cannot live a life of peace outside of God. After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and strengthen you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever.
what's God going to do in the midst of this as you reach forward to maturity, as you're going through the hard time and difficult days? He's going to perfect you. Again, he's going to mature you. You're going to understand how the word of God joins together with the life of man. He's going to establish you. That means he's going to set you upon a rock. But somebody said upon the rock can be easily knocked off. And because that's the case, he's going to strengthen you so that you would not be easily knocked off the rock, the rock who is Jesus Christ. And he's going to settle you. And the idea is in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of the attacks, in the midst of the deception, you're going to have a peace that surpasses understanding. You're going to know that you're in the will of God. And although this suffering is hard and it's, it's touching you to the core, nonetheless, you'll be able to endure in Christ because he's got a future and a hope for you. And so Peter, Peter, a most humbled man. Peter understands the reality of everything that he has been saying here in this chapter because he has experienced personally everything he's talking about in this chapter. Look at verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort whom a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter, you are a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You were asleep in the garden. You, you slept through the, through the whole thing. And he's also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. You misinterpreted this, this mount of transfiguration and what was going on. And in your desire to exalt Jesus on even par with Moses and Elijah, you were in fact exalting yourselves, or yourself. Look at verse 3. It says, Nor is being lords over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter, you cut off Malchus's ear. He doesn't have an ear to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church anymore. Of course, we know that Jesus glued it back on, but nonetheless. Look at verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, in John chapter 13, verse 8, is all Jesus wanted to do was wash his feet. And what did Peter say? You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Wasn't very submitted to the Lord there. Look at verse 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And Peter could say, yeah, I messed up royally. I really made a mess of things. But God met me and God's using me. In verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Peter's reminded of the times when he cast the net and caught absolutely nothing, but when Christ directed him to cast his net to a particular place in a particular way, they couldn't even bring the catch in. Verse 8, be sober and vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He remembers that time when Jesus said that he prayed for him because Satan has asked that he would sift him like wheat. And then verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter would be reminded of his sufferings and his failures as he denied Jesus Christ three times. And so what is to overcome all of this? Peter, how are you able to come all this mess? Verses 10 through 11, And may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, that he would perfect you, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The bad thing about Peter, he was just such a Peter. The good thing about Peter, he wasn't a repeater. He was somebody who learned his lessons learned his lessons, and he wasn't afraid of his failures to release his failures for the purpose of other people learning and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse 12 to the end. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God by which you stand or in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, more than likely he's referring to the church that is in Rome at that time. That's where Peter is writing this from. Elect together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son. John Mark was with him. This is Mark that penned the gospel of Mark. It's believed that Peter uh, dictated the gospel to Mark. Verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Valuable lessons for the church. 
valuable lessons for how we need to conduct ourselves and the things that we need to do. And again, the Bible, the Bible demands that we open our hearts and make an examination. Pastoral and congregational approval or appeals, appraisals and whatnot, it's essential that we constantly have these times that we check our heart to make sure that we're going in the proper direction. If we're not, we need to stop and we need to move. We need to go in that direction that God has set before us. Father, ultimately that direction, it always arrives at your doorstep. And so, Father, I just thank you, God, that you have called us an imperfect people together. And just as it started that way with Peter and so many others, it continues today. I pray, Father, for the times that we missed the mark. I pray for the times that we willfully sin, God, that you would convict us, that you would correct us, and, Lord, we would have a heart of repentance moving in your ways. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word here this morning. I pray, Father, that every person of our church, Lord, would truly check their heart and understand and know that we are in your will. And so, Father, continue to use us, bless us, that we would have influence in the areas that you have given us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Um, It's in the bulletin. I imagine Sean announced it. uh, Question and answer. I'm going to devote a service to answering questions. So if you've ever had any biblical questions that for whatever reason you haven't asked or didn't feel comfortable ask, you don't have to put your name on it, but just write it on the bulletin. There's that lined section of the bulletin or the prayer request. You don't have to put your name on it and put it in the agape box, and I'm going to devote a service to answering the questions. And if you're watching this online, you can type your question online, and we'll get them all together. And if it takes two services to answer them all, then we'll take two services to answer them all. Again, we did it quite a few years ago, and I think we had two services worth of question and answer, and I just I enjoyed it. It was kind of a great time. Family night, we need you to sign up to family night. If you're planning on going, it's on the 9th. Sign-ups is at the sign-up table. Tonight we're going to be in Second Chronicles, and there will be a couple up here for prayer. God bless you guys. See you tonight.
Amen. Praise God.